decided to begin this morning with a story from the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. In the year 2000, so this is a little while ago, Andres sensed God calling him to leave his successful furniture export business and move his family to a town in one of Colombia's dangerous red zones, areas controlled by violent guerrilla groups. Everyone he shared his plans with pleaded for him not to go due to concerns for his family's safety. They even called someone to physically block me from going, Andres added. But God told me that I need, needed to go there. Before sharing his thoughts beyond his immediate family, Andres spent a few days fasting and praying to confirm the calling. While he was seeking assurance, his wife, Juanita, began to grow anxious. I was fearful because we had four kids, she says. I was very worried, but I trusted in the Lord. Andres told me, the Lord has sent me. He is going to take care of us. When Andres told his pastor about his decision, the pastor told him that nobody ever comes out of that town alive. And Andres' father was even more blunt. Here's half the money you'll need to buy a coffin, he said, pulling money out of his pocket, throwing it on the table. Don't leave here without buying one, because we know that you're not coming back. Still, Andres remained confident he was submitting to God's will, and you sure would need to be in his situation. God is sending me, Andres told them. If it pleases him that I die there, then I will die there. Christ gave his life for me, and I have to give my life for him. You can read the rest of his story in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine at the back there and find out what happens. Men and women like Andres and his family remind us what it is to be a Christian, to live for the cause of Jesus the Christ, to follow Christ in life and death because he gave his life for us. And yes, our lives and our callings may look different, but nonetheless, that is our calling to go where he wants us to go, to do what he calls us to do, to give our lives and live our lives for him today because he gave his life for us. Our text this morning is a bleak part of the story of Jesus, of his life. But Mark chapter 14, verses 53 to 65, and you can turn there. It's also like a window. It's a window that shines light upon the goodness of Jesus at one of the darkest points of his life. Here is Jesus, Israel's promised deliverer unjustly condemned, beaten, and mocked. 
all so that he might save his people from their sins. And this Jesus proclaimed a day in the middle of that suffering when he as ruler would return and judge the world. And his people, his followers, stand with him because they know he is worthy of their very lives because they know he is Lord. What about you and I? Do you know? Do you love this Jesus, the righteous one condemned for you? Will you suffer also for his sake? Follow along with me. We're in Mark chapter 14. As we consider Jesus. I'll read verses 53 to 55. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. The whole narrative that we're going to read is a narrative of injustice after injustice. First, we're introduced to the unjust judges. Jesus was taken to the high priest's home during the middle of the night. He had been arrested, and the disciples left him. Peter's following him. And we'll, we heard from Randy a couple of weeks ago his story and what he, what he, how he responds. But we have here a gathering of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. Now, the Sanhedrin was the supreme court of Jewish law, the highest level of government in, in the Jewish um, province apart from the Romans. This was a group of 70 members of the leading men of Israel presided over by the chief priest, the high priest. And we're told what they gathered to do. They gathered together seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They came together in the middle of the night for one purpose, to gather evidence to have Jesus executed. That was their goal right from the start. Now, this would have been a preliminary hearing of sorts because the Sanhedrin would have to turn Jesus over to the Roman court. Only the Romans um, could legally authorize capital punishment. But first, they intend to do all they can to make sure that Jesus gets the death sentence. These were the judges of Israel. These were the men entrusted with the cause of truth and righteousness and justice, but they were not just men. 
If you want to know what a facade, a mockery of justice looks like, here it is. The verdict of Israel's judges was already decided before they even heard one witness. Those in charge of God's chosen nation wanted one thing, the death of Jesus, their Lord. But they pretend justice and they gather witnesses to try to drum up charges against Jesus so that the Romans will execute him. So we have the unjust judges. Now we have witnesses. Will they be just? Will they be fair? Well, the judges knew the law. They'd memorized Deuteronomy 17.6, which says, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So the, these judges know they have no leg to stand on without consistent witnesses who can testify against Jesus. They don't want to be laughed at in the Roman courts. So they call their witnesses forward. Will they be just? Verse 56. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Many testified, but consistent evidence could not be given against Jesus. They couldn't find anything. This was a man blameless of all crimes. And though he stood before false witnesses, they could not find anything against him. Now, some others came and they stood up, verse 57, and bore false witness against him and were told the charge. This is what they said, verse 58. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. This was a serious claim. Talk about inciting rebellion. Destroy the temple and rebuild it. But even in this, there it is true. There are some sayings of Jesus that they took and they twisted here. But even when they got together to, to come up with this charge, they couldn't agree. They couldn't get their story straight. Mark concludes, yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. No one could find fault with Jesus. He was the just one in the situation. He was the one who was righteous, the one who was blameless. It was the justice system that was corrupt. It was the leaders in Judah who were not obeying the law of God. Here's the thing about 
unjust men. They don't quit when the charges don't add up. They don't care if somebody is innocent or not. They don't want justice done. They want their way done. They want their power secure. If they cared about justice, do you know what they would have done to those false witnesses? They would have turned around and prosecuted every one of them. Deuteronomy chapter 19 says in verses 18 and 19, the judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you, you weren't supposed to walk into the courts of Israel and be able to be flippant about your testimony, about your witness. But the judges of Israel cared nothing about the law when it did not suit their purposes. They were precise as you could be when it benefited them. But here's the thing. They had heard Jesus name them hypocrites and sons of hell. And their minds were made up. This was a man that needed to go. Since they could not find valid witnesses, the high priest questions Jesus directly in verse 60. Verses 60 to 62, we have the, the um, discussion between the questioning of the high priest. Verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Here, we have the just one, the true judge of Israel. When he is questioned by the high priest, Jesus remained silent until he was asked if he was the Christ, the deliverer God had promised to Israel. He did not try to defend himself. He did not attempt to beg for his life or try to escape the death sentence that awaited him. Though he could have. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. This is what the prophet Isaiah said about the promised Messiah, the Lord's holy servant, 
in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Jesus didn't avoid the cross, though he could have. But he also didn't avoid saying who he really was. He acknowledges himself publicly as the Messiah. And he announces that he will be enthroned at the right hand of God and return on the clouds of heaven. The background to Jesus' pronouncement, the pronouncement of the Lord of Israel, comes from the visions of Daniel and Daniel 7 and the songs of David. And Psalm 110. So Daniel saw in Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14. One who with the clouds of heaven. There came like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. The eternal unchangeable father. God. And he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And David prophesied of the Lord, the Lord speaking to his Lord, the Messiah, David's own Descendant. And this is what the Lord said. Sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm 110 verses 1 and 2. Jesus' assertion about himself was plain. He was the Messiah. The Davidic king who would deliver his people and rule an eternal kingdom from the throne of God. Co-equal with the power. That is with Yahweh himself. There are only two conclusions that one could draw from this kind of a statement. Jesus was not being vague here. Either Jesus is blaspheming or he is Lord. Either he has a unique relationship with God, equal in power and authority with him, or he's utterly wicked. Well, the high priest and the Sanhedrin made their decision. We've known from the start what they think. Verses 63 to 65. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. 
That's how our text this morning ends. With the unjust condemnation of the Lord. The rulers of Israel condemned an innocent man. Their Lord and judge. They do it without a proof of any evil. No charge was brought against him. That stood. They didn't hide their animosity. But they mocked them. And they beat their sinless Lord. These men. Have descended a long ways. From the. Impartial. And righteous judges that they were supposed to be. Because of their pride. Their unwillingness to submit to and recognize the authority of Jesus. This is what the Apostle Peter, who was there, remember. This is what the Apostle Peter said of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 25. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't lie when he stood before the high priest. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He didn't snap in anger when they smashed his face. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. And there is a judge of all the earth who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And he did this that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. Peter understood the prophet. All of the prophets were being fulfilled. For this was us. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. First Peter 2, 22-25. Friends, here is the gospel. The one who sits at the right hand of God. Jesus, the eternal Lord and judge of all creation, was beaten and murdered to save his accusers. To save his own people. This is immeasurable love. The Lord of Israel suffered injustice, hatred, and mockery at the hands of his own people and died for his enemies. Do you know his love today? He died for you. 
He died that whoever believes in Him would not be condemned as we deserve, but have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. To live under His authority, under His care. And now the author of Hebrews writes, He has ascended to the throne of God. And is seated in victory while the Father places his enemies under his feet. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. You see, he really was and is the Son of God, co equal with the Father. And he will return, as he said. To those judges, he'll return to rule and judge. When he does, the Apostle Paul describes his judgment this way and his coming. In 2 Thessalonians, he will come granting relief to his people and inflicting vengeance on those that afflict his people, on those that remain in their sins, those who reject his son. There is no sidestepping the Lord Jesus. You can try to ignore him, but in the end, You'll either stand opposed to him like the corrupt judges of Israel or suffer with him. There is no neutral ground. We have a choice to make. This claim of the Lord Jesus, he was innocent, no charge could be laid upon him. What will we do with this claim? That he is the Lord. Of all. That he will come. To rule. And to judge. All the earth. You can stand opposed to him. Or suffer with him. I say suffer with him. Because Jesus himself. Said to the disciples. John chapter 15. Verses 18 through 20. You want to memorize a verse? Memorize this one. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. What's that saying? Birds of a feather flock together. It's kind of a funny saying. But it's true. The world loves its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you? A slave is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
Jesus was pretty clear. The apostles understood this. They also said similar things. Peter said, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's when he goes on and says, when he was reviled, he didn't revile. When he was beaten, he didn't hit back. Paul wrote as he neared the death sentence. And indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. That's the bottom line what you sign up for. When you serve Jesus Somebody once said, when you give your life over to Jesus, it's like signing your name on a blank contract and whatever he fills in. That's what you will do. You'll go wherever. You'll do whatever. But I do think there's a little apostolic footnote there. You're going to have to carry a cross. You're going to have to deny yourself uh, and be... uh, Persecuted like me. That's a hard message. But it is a the best news. Because our Lord took the condemnation that we deserve. He died the just for the unjust to bring us to God, Peter said. 1 Peter 3.18. So what a small thing. What a privilege to serve God in whatever He asks. Whatever might come. But folks, you need to know that Jesus said that faith in Him would invite the world's hatred. To receive Christ is to receive his suffering also. And yeah, the degree of persecution you face may differ from others. Some are ridiculed. Some lose family connections. Some are beaten. Some give their lives. They they die For their faith. But if we love Jesus. If we truly want to serve him. We will. Suffer for his sake. In some way. And be willing. To take that suffering. For his sake. This is humbling. Because Christ gave his life for us. And yet, so often we take 
the easy road of acknowledging Christ when it's comfortable. And in our world today, we live in a world of conformity. The world wants to conform people to its mold. So as long as you go along with, you stay silent, things will go fairly well with you in this life. But Christ gave his life for you. Will you not give him yours too? And that means following our Lord's example as Peter Peter taught. Peter who saw his Lord beaten and denied his Lord so that he wouldn't have to face the same. And the Lord gave him another opportunity. And there may be some of you, I know I have completely blown it when I've been asked to, to uh, just even say what do I, what I believe. The Lord is merciful. He's gentle. I'm thankful for the second chances that he gives us. So let's take those opportunities if you've blown it. And like Peter said, then be willing to suffer. Be willing not to. That means to not return evil in kind. But to be kind, to be forgiving. And to continue like Christ to proclaim the truth about who he is. Whatever the consequences might be. I want to suggest two things to you, brothers and sisters, as we as we think of Christ. And his suffering. Firstly, that you might resolve today to live for Christ no matter what the cost. Are you willing to do that? Resolve to live for Christ this day and tomorrow the same. This day, no matter the cost. Some people, sometimes we get caught up in martyrdom, you know. That's persecution or getting arrested. And we think, oh, I can, how could I ever do that, right? Take today. And stand with Jesus today. And if he wants you to say something that Maybe somebody doesn't want to hear or he wants you to be gracious to someone who is ungracious to you. To forgive someone who has hurt you. Do that. The Lord gives us enough each day.
for that day. And he's with his people. We need to remember that. You can resolve and resolve and resolve, but you cannot do that on your own. You cannot conjure up enough confidence or willpower to be faithful. But if God so calls upon you to suffer for him, he is able. He is faithful. So as you resolve to live for him today, don't go without looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus and remember his sacrifice daily. Remember his example, the specific things. If somebody has hurt you, how did Jesus respond when he was hurt? When he was mocked, when he was beaten. Look to him. Fear dies and faith grows as we see his love and believe that he the Lord of the universe was indeed mocked and condemned unjustly for our sake. Do you believe that? Do you know him? Do you love him? We're going to be afraid sometimes. We're going to be uncertain going to grow tired in those moments look to Christ look to Christ who Hebrews 12 tells us for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our Lord. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's the call of the Gospel that we would Consider Christ that we would put our faith in him and count the cost and resolve to serve him this day. Let that be, be our heart as God's people. To count that cost and consider Jesus. Amen.